Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Julian Klamachko, host of the Absolute Return podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's podcast, we welcome special guests, Sumant Sina, founder of Renew Power, and Bob Mancini, CEO of RMG. Renew Power, India's leading pure play renewable energy producer, recently announced a merger with SPAC RMG Acquisition 2 that valued the company at $8 billion. On the show, Sumant and Bob discuss the thesis behind the founding of Renew Power 10 years ago and how the company became one of the largest renewable energy producers in the world, why the Indian power market is attractive for investors, key insights into why RMG chose Renew Power as its merger partner, the company's future growth initiatives, why investors should pay attention to the stock, and more. So with no further ado, here's our discussion with Sumant Sina, founder of Renew Power, and Bob Mancini, CEO of RMG. All right, welcome to Sumant from Renew Power and Bob from RMG. Excited to have both companies from the merger, uh, the target company and the sponsor, to come talk about uh, really two themes that really interest me on this deal. So number one, big ESG component, renewable energy is really taking the world by storm, and emerging markets, international investing, as all your business is in India. So let's get into it. I'm really intrigued on hearing the backstory of Renew Power because it was founded 10 years ago and you seem to have made a tremendous amount of progress. Renew is now the largest pure play renewable power company in India and one of the largest in the world. So Suman, why don't you kick things off by just giving us a quick backstory on yourself and the company? Yeah, sure thing, uh, Julian. Thank you so much for uh, having me and Bob uh, on your show. It's it's terrific to be here and to talk about the company and about our deal. Um, to answer your question about the backstory, look, I started this company about, uh, as you said, 10 years ago. Uh, at that time, uh, the Indian um, government was looking to uh, open up the renewable energy sector. Um, so a little bit ahead of uh, some of the current uh, thought process around climate change and so on. Uh, and one must give some degree of, uh, of uh, credit to the government of India for having uh, thought about this at that point in time. Uh, I was working at a um, wind turbine manufacturing company, which I was running. Uh, it was an Indian company called Suzlon, which at that time was one of the largest uh, wind turbine manufacturing companies in the world, along with Vestas, Gamisa, and so on. And... Uh, my, my personal backstory, uh, just to let you know, is that I was a banker in the U.S. for many years. Uh, I'm a investment banker here in New York uh, for about 10 years or so. And then I returned back to India. I was working in the Indian corporate sector uh, as the finance head of a large Indian uh, business group. And then I was running Suzlon. Uh, and I saw this opportunity opening up uh, where I felt that... Uh, you know, my ability of my understanding of the uh, uh, of the renewable energy sector along with the financing understanding that I had uh, would allow me to actually be able to be successful in the space. And so that's what I did. I started this company, uh, you know, invested some of my own capital, hired a few folks, and then built a project pipeline and then went looking for funding. 
And uh, one of the doors that I had knocked on at that time was that of Goldman Sachs. Uh, Goldman was, in fact, looking to build uh, and invest and grow their private equity uh, investing business in India. And so we had a meeting of, of minds, and Goldman actually committed to invest uh, $200 million into the company at that point. And that's really what got us started in, in our journey. And from that point on, um, you know, uh, it's, been, it's been a fairly good journey in the sense that we've made a lot of progress. The Indian market has grown quite substantially. We as a company have executed uh, reasonably well within that context. And uh, we've been able to raise a ton of capital from investors, of course, like Goldman, who also then subsequently increased their investment in the company to almost uh, close to uh, $400 million, $500 million. And then we've got a bunch of other investors to come in, fairly, you know, very uh, credible global investors who've invested in the company over the years. And all of that capital raising, as well as execution on the ground, and I'm happy to talk about that in more detail, of course, has really allowed us to grow the company to a point where now... We have 5.7 gigawatts of commissioned wind and solar capacity. We have another four odd gigawatts that we're constructing right now. So that takes us to about 10 gigawatts of total wind and solar capacity, which, as you observed, uh, is the largest size in India and among the largest pure play renewable energy companies globally as well. So I think uh, it's, a, it's a combination of raising capital at the right time, combination of the growth of the Indian market, and a combination of also executing on the ground that I think has led us to this point where we've become, uh, you know, one of the larger companies in the space globally as well. That's fantastic. And before we get into a little bit more about Renew, Bob, could you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Sure, Julian. Uh, again, thanks for having us uh, on your program. We really appreciate it. Um, I started my investing career at Goldman Sachs, where I had spent 20 years and um, after leaving Goldman, uh, where I had focused mainly on investing in power, uh, the power industry as well as commodities around the globe, um, I went to the Carlyle Group, where I also uh, invested, continue investing in the power sector, mainly uh, focused in the U.S., uh, but um, from my prior experience at Goldman, uh, where I had uh, exposure to uh, power markets globally and, and India in particular, um, you know, that we found this uh, this opportunity particularly compelling. Great. And one theme that we see over and over and becoming more and more popular these days is that of really focusing on the environment, decarbonization, and this green transition from fossil fuels to renewable power. And Sumant, you mentioned this notion of India's global climate commitments. They're trying to reduce carbon emissions. How important is this for Renew's business model? Was that really the thesis behind it? Is that you foresaw more and more governments, uh, specifically the Indian government, fostering this industry? Is that where the business opportunity came about? I would say that when it started off about 10, 11 years ago, at that point, certainly what was going through my mind was uh, the fact that uh, climate change would become a bigger deal going forward. Uh, it was already beginning to appear that way so many years ago, uh, but it was still at, at a very early stage. And so the thesis at that point really was that uh, uh, solar power, of course, was uh, significantly more expensive. Wind was a lot more competitive, but still more expensive than, than the alternative sources of conventional power, coal or gas and so on. Uh, but, uh, uh, but the two things that were playing in my mind at that time was, number one, 
that climate change would become a bigger uh, and more you know more important issue for the world as a whole going forward so that is a directional thought but the second thing also was that just looking at the evolution of technology that uh, renewables would become more competitive in the future and that therefore the delta between renewables and conventional would come down uh, to a reasonable extent so those are the two big uh, directional um, uh, sort of uh, drivers for my decision and um, as you see the way it's played out is actually even more intense than i had actually forecast so many years ago uh, climate change as we know is is a very very critical issue now it's front and center of as you observed of everybody's uh, investment thesis uh, esg has become a big big thing uh, global institutional investors are, are looking at that and looking at companies which are in any space and looking at what they're doing on the sustainability and climate change front and beyond doing how they might be impacted by climate change in the future and that's also becoming a bigger uh, issue so i think the whole climate change theme has played out much more strongly over the last several years than i had anticipated when i had started this business many years ago but you know even more starkly on the other uh, big lever which was the issue of technologies uh, technology development reducing costs that's played out even more starkly when you look at the cost reductions that we've seen now in solar and wind you know solar now in india is almost 50% cheaper than the price of coal based power wow and wind is almost 40% cheaper and that's remarkable because now uh, it's no longer climate change that is that is only driving the growth uh, and adoption of renewable energy it is in fact the the fact you know the reality that it is in fact the cheapest source of new electricity that is now driving consumers towards renewable energy and when you dovetail both of those trends together it actually creates a very very strong background or underpinning or driver for the growth of renewables over the next several decades and i think that whole situation has therefore played itself out uh, in a much more robust manner than i had thought when i started this business can you speak to the rationale for focusing on solar and wind versus some of the other renewable power options yeah so you know uh, solar and wind because they were the easiest to uh, uh, get started wind at the time we started was already fairly mature and uh, we've already seen a lot of onshore wind installations happening in the case of uh, solar uh, just because of the ubiquitousness of solar it's everywhere uh, it's obviously uh, had a lot of room for improvements in technology and therefore cost reductions and you know solar has this incredible ability where it is scalable downwards as well in the sense that without losing the cost advantage you can really uh, decrease the installation size quite substantially and so that gives you this gives you this incredible flexibility where you can put it on your rooftop without the cost going up dramatically and eventually i'm pretty sure you start having windows made of solar panels as well and see through transparent windows and so on so there'll be a lot of unique opportunities for the development of uh, solar which um, we cannot conceive of right now and so that's really the reason we decided to go into both wind and solar and they had common characteristics also they both require land uh, for example they both require connectivity into the grid um you can balance both between each other because as you know solar peaks in the middle of the day uh, wind is you know more stable although a little bit more uh, intermittent but by blending the two together you can get some some really good solutions um uh, you know which can start 
you know, looking like baseload power. And uh, so I think all of those, for all of those reasons, we decided to get into both wind and solar, uh, which is not to say that we can't look at, you know, opportunities and other aspects of uh, renewables in the future, such as hydro, for example, which is also clean. So our, our view as a company is that anything that is clean energy, we are willing to look at eventually. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. What I find fascinating is just the technological advancement within wind and solar and and other renewable power areas. You mentioned solar now 50% cheaper than coal, wind 40% cheaper than coal. And I'm sure when you started it was probably the complete opposite where you're probably relying on government subsidies and such. But now you guys have a massive footprint in the market, more than 100 wind and solar energy projects spread across nine Indian states. I was wondering if we could get into some of the economics on how your business model works. What in the Indian power market makes it attractive for investors to allocate capital to these wind and solar projects in India? Sure. Julian, if I can just stay on one more fact before sure. I, I specifically answer that question. Yep. Uh, if you look, it's very important to understand the size of the Indian market, which I think is something that is not well understood. You know, the Indian power market right now is the third largest in the world after China and the U.S., uh, we are bigger than Japan. We are bigger than Germany, for example, right? Right. We are growing at about five to six percent every year, which is unlike a lot of the Western Western uh, uh, economies because their power demand has kind of tapered off. In India, when we are adding new renewable capacity, it's essentially to meet new power demand. Right. So we're not even uh, biting into or taking share away from the existing legacy assets that have already been set up. We're just trying to simply meet new power demand growth and. Uh, you know, the Indian government has set a target to get the renewable energy target or current renewable energy installed capacity from 90 gigawatts to 450 gigawatts in the next 10 years. So we're talking about a five times growth in the next 10 years. But even that level of growth is not going to be sufficient to meet the entire power demand growth. Because in the next 10 to 12 years, India will add a new power market the size of the Japanese market today. Uh, in the next 20 years, we will add a power market the size of the entire European Union today. So it's a very large market growing massively over the next 10 to 20 years. And so therefore, that is the backdrop within which, you know, try as we might and as rapidly as we might add renewable energy capacity and the government's target, as I said, is a 5x increase on the 90 that we are at right now. We are still going to be short meeting all new incremental demand through renewable energy. And so the balance will still come from other sources, primarily from coal, which is really not good for the world at large. But there are execution constraints that are, you know, so that are preventing us from going even faster than adding 450 gigawatts of renewable energy capacity, which is itself a very large number. Right. Now, to answer your question about how do investors look at it uh, and what kind of returns you make uh, in wind and solar, so, you know, the, the total cost required to set up a one uh, megawatt 
uh, wind uh, project is approximately about $850,000 per megawatt. For solar, it's about half of that. And the EBITDA that you make on a one megawatt project is close to about $80,000 to $90,000 per megawatt per year. And again, half that for solar. Um, and so that's how the economics work out. You generally tend to make a third of the EBITDA as free cash flow uh, to equity uh, after paying off interest and servicing your debt and so on. And so that's the cash that you have that you can either take out or you can reinvest uh, for, future, for future growth. And really, at this point, just given the growth opportunities, you can actually reinvest you know, whatever free cash that you can get. Uh, typically, uh, you know, we tend to target between 16 and 20% equity returns. Now, that's fairly high compared to the kind of equity returns that you might target in uh, the U.S., for example, where the numbers would be significantly below 10%. Yeah. And the reason is because, obviously, these are rupee returns. So you'd have to add maybe 3 to 4% of rupee depreciation to account for uh, you know, the FX differential. But other than that, everything else is, is, um, is the extra return that you make at this point, at this point. and which is the kind of return that is required which is, you know, a return that we make, not necessarily the, the rest, that the rest of the market makes. We tend to make a higher return than the rest of the market because of our because of our integrated model. Yeah, it's really good to know that competitive advantage that you guys, I'm sure, have built up as one of the market leaders. So just to review the economics uh, for investors, roughly kind of 10% return on capital, one-third of EBITDA as free cash flow, targeting equity returns, return on equity of 16 to 20%. Certainly, that is significantly higher than what you can find in North America, but that's one of the appeals of investing in emerging markets and quickly growing markets as the Indian market is. Now, to achieve this growth, you guys obviously have a, a massive growth plan, which, re- which requires capital. And in the power production sector, you can utilize a significant amount of debt capital. You're also utilizing equity capital as well. And that being said, let's get into the recently announced business combination with SPAC. RMG Acquisition 2 achieved an enterprise value of $8 billion. What was notable about this deal is you guys announced a concurrent $855 million pipe financing, which is one of the largest in the SPAC space that I can recall. Um, I was wondering if you can get into this pipe financing. You have some very high profile investors uh, within this deal. How did the $855 million pipe financing come about? So, so you're right. Uh, it is one of the largest uh, pipes that's been raised in the SPAC market. Uh, what's notable about it is uh, we started at a much lower level. We upsized uh, because the demand was so great. Mm. Um, we have the likes of BlackRock, BNT Paribas, Energy Transition Fund, um, TT International Asset Management, TT Environmental Solutions, Zimmer Partners, all of whom are very focused on the ESG theme. And I think um, you know once they heard this story, you know, they realize that this fits very well with their overall ESG strategy. So we specifically went out and targeted investors who we thought uh, would be especially interested in the renewable theme and would be good long-term investors. And so uh, the investors I just mentioned are investors who, you know, we have the confidence will be uh, supporting this company, not just uh, at its debut, but uh, for years to come, we hope. Um, so it, it creates a great foundation uh, for capital raise for the company. Yeah, I'm sure they were attracted to the uh, economics that Sumant discussed, 16 to 20% equity returns. And 
once this transaction completes, you expect to have as much as 1.2 billion of uh, capital available on your balance sheet. In your investor presentation, you indicate forecast EBITDA growth of 30%, which is shockingly high for a power producer, typically at least for North American power producers, their growth levels, they're um, typically known as, you know, the widow and orphan type stocks, super steady eddy type stories, but renew significantly higher growth than the market. Can you tell us about your growth plans and how you think you'll attain this forecast 30% EBITDA growth? Sure, Julian. So, you know, we've been, uh, we've been trending towards a 10 to 12% market share of the Indian market. And it's a very fragmented market because, as I said earlier, we're the largest company in the space with that market share. And uh, so there are going to be two kinds of opportunities as we go forward. Number one, as I said, is the fact that the Indian market itself is growing uh, very dramatically uh, at about a 20% uh, per year growth rate. So that's one source of growth. The second is going to be consolidation because the market will consolidate as we go forward. Um, A lot of the smaller players will exit the sector. Capital will start going to uh, the play larger players that are likely to be there and be successful over a period of time. And valuations will also uh, treat, I think, more to the larger guys. And so for both of those reasons, our expectation is that we should be able to deliver a 30% growth. Uh, we're fully capitalized to deliver that growth as well. As you observe, we have $1.2 billion of cash uh, post this transaction that will be sitting with us, plus the fairly robust internal cash flow generation that we'll also have. That will allow us to essentially go from the current 5.7 gigawatts of installed capacity to uh, to about three times of that in the next five years. And that really is uh, going to drive fairly substantial EBITDA growth of this time period. Now, uh, as we look forward even beyond 2025, there is no reason for us to assume that growth will not continue to be great. As I said, the government has a 2030 target, which is fairly significant. And climate change uh, is going to continue to be a fairly important issue as well. And, you know, what will happen also, Julian, uh, as we look into the future, is that uh, you will have the replacement of legacy coal assets beginning to happen as well. At some point in time, as old coal plants start to get retired, uh, those will start getting, um, you know, replaced by renewable energy. And when, uh, as we look forward, battery costs will keep coming down as well. And that will allow us to start providing baseload solutions and managing the grid better. And so that will become another source of revenue. And uh, eventually, as again, as we look five to 10 years out, you'll also have a very interesting development, which is that renewable energy today is mostly renewable electricity because we operate mostly in the power sector. But the power sector is really only a quarter of the overall energy market uh, itself. And uh, through means like green hydrogen, you'll st- you know that hydrogen will become a bridging fuel between electricity and en- the energy space in general, and that will begin to open up open up much bigger size markets as well. And you can make green hydrogen through renewable energy, um, and therefore uh, that part of the market will also begin to come into the play as well as we look at beyond 2030. And so, um, so all of that will continue to provide fairly long-term secular and structural growth to our our sector for several years to come. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution. 
providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies, and one easy-to-use, one-choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One-Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1CONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. So, Bob, you've described a little bit of what makes Renew an, an attractive investment, but can you describe a little bit about what your due diligence process is? Sure, sure. Um, and and in today's SPAC world, a very relevant question. Um, you know, keep in mind that uh, investors in this company, uh, the pre-existing investors and investors who will be, uh, continue with the company, who will continue to own about 70% of the company, are Goldman Sachs, uh, the Canadian Pension Plan Investment Board, Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, JIRA, which is one of the Japan's largest investor called utilities. So these are, this is very smart money. It's among the most sophisticated, um, especially in the renewables world. Um, and that was the starting uh, point. We took great comfort in the fact that you know it was marquee investors who we had confidence had done their own diligence. But uh, that was just the starting point. Um, for us, then, um, you know, we, we needed to dig in and do our own diligence. But the fact that um, all of these investors had previously invested and continue to invest over a 10-year period made the process a lot easier for us. Um, the information uh, was, was very extensive and well-organized. So when we brought in our outside experts uh, to evaluate, you know, the financials, the individual projects themselves, all the legal documents and contracts, um, the, the process uh, was was more streamlined, I would say, than we might have otherwise uh, uh, faced. But we dug in deep and we challenged the company uh, around their assumptions and projections, and they were very well prepared to answer our questions. I, keep in mind that this is a particularly refreshing candidate in the SPAC world. With uh, This company has a long history of performance with real revenues and real EBITDA. Not a startup, it's a real operating company. Uh, real operating history that we were able to dig into and test their hypothesis around and and their projections uh, and and the validity of those uh, and the fact that again this company had a long history uh, and had also been issuing debt in, in the you know in the dollar bond market we were able to uh, gain a lot of confidence in, in the quality and veracity of that information so our confidence in their level, uh, you know, their, our confidence level and their ability to deliver, I think, is very, very high. So, Sumant, I was wondering, you guys have had significant access to capital over your 10-year existence, major shareholders, uh, Goldman Sachs, Canada Pension Plan, plus, as Bob indicated, the ability to raise debt capital uh, from the capital markets to fund your business plan. So I was wondering, after 10 years, why did you choose to go public? Why a SPAC? And what was the main reason you selected RMG as a dance partner in your going public transaction? Yeah, look, these are great questions, of course. Uh, you know, I think there comes a time in the evolution of any company where, uh, you know, going to the public markets and becoming a public company makes them, you know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, for us, we felt that we reached that time uh, where uh, uh, we wanted to become a public company and, uh, uh, have access to the public markets for fundraising and, 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 and also give exit to some of our shareholders should they be interested in that. And um, 
So that's why we were very keen to uh, to um, get a public transaction done and get a listing done. The question was, what was the right choice of venue for us? And uh, we felt that listing uh, in a in listing in the U.S. or in Europe would probably make the most sense given the huge the whole theme of ESG investing that was playing out. And so we were looking at markets either either in Europe or in the U.S. Uh, which and we were thinking about doing a straightforward listing uh, at that point in time. Uh, and that is around the time when we started getting approached by some um, some of the SPACs to see whether we'd be interested in uh, in tying up with them and doing a listing through a SPAC method. Um, one of the SPACs that, that we spoke to at that time, in fact, was RMG. And the reason that RMG was very attractive to us was because of the, of the wide experience that uh, Bob and his team uh, bring to the table on, um, uh, in the whole area of energy and investing in energy and so on. And secondly, the kind of wide uh, relationships that they share with investors. And um, we felt that they would really be good long-term partners for us. And uh, that's why we decided to go, you know, tie up with them and, and uh, go to the market through a SPAC uh, route. Now, for us, uh, really, uh, the end destination was to become a listed company. And, um, you know, whether we got there through a SPAC method or whether we got there through a direct listing really was a little bit less important. Uh, but as it turns out, we felt that RNG were going to be very good long-term partners for us. And that's why we decided to go down that path. So I wanted to wrap up the Renew Power story just for investors. So what I'm seeing, attractive unit, economic, 16 to 20% return on equity. You cover the ESG theme. Investors get to capitalize on the, the growth of emerging markets. And really, as solar and wind continue to get cheaper and cheaper, the m- macro indicators are really going your way. The other thing that I noticed is that this merger values renew at 9.7 times forecast 2022 EBITDA. If we look at the peer set, they trade around 15.6 times. So it looks like a compelling valuation that you guys are going public uh, for investors here. So Bob, I wanted to uh, point this question at you. Aside from those reasons that I listed, why should investors pay attention to renew power? Uh, when it starts trading in the market? Well, one of the characteristics of this company that um, Simon alluded to that I think is important that we emphasize is the fact that this company does have a fully integrated platform. And so what I mean by that is they, they have their own in-house engineering team, their own land acquisition and development team, the complete EPC capabilities in-house for uh, procurement and construction. And they also have their own in-house asset management and, and operations and maintenance team. Now, what, why is that important? And why is that important is from an investor's perspective? It's, it's because that platform gives Renew a very real competitive advantage, whether it's in bidding for projects or building them or operating them. All of that translates into higher margins than, than its competitors. And so I think it's, it's important to, to make sure investors understand that. Now, as you said before, you know, the company's on pace to have more than $800 million of EBITDA this fiscal year. And then over the next five years, its growth is expected to be nearly 30% per year. So the other thing to keep in mind is that when we talk about revenues and growth, it's backed nearly 100% um, by power purchase agreements that extend out to 25 years. There's virtually no merchant risk in this portfolio. So if, if you're an investor who wants to express a view in the renewable space, you know, there, there's a variety of options, of course, to do that. But if you want to express a view in a pure play renewable company, there just aren't a lot of choices. So, 
you know, there's, of course, several integrated utilities and independent power producers out there. Uh, but typically those companies, uh, you know, renewable is only part of the story. This is a pure play renewable company. And so what I would say to investors, if you want exposure to a pure play renewables company in one of the largest and fastest growing markets in the world with contracted revenues and an EBITDA growth rate of nearly 30%, then Renew is really one of the best investment choices you can make. Great. And to the extent that investors want to follow the story, SPAC RMG Acquisition 2 is currently trading under the symbol RMGB. Once the deal completes, Renew will trade under the symbol RNW. So, Sumant, Bob, thank you for coming on the Absolute Return podcast, sharing the Renew Power story. I find it interesting, compelling, a lot of key themes that we touched on today and insights into the underlying business. So thank you, guys. We wish you the best of success as you go along in your journey to become a public company. Thank you, Julian. Thank you. Thank you so much, Julian and Michael. Take care, guys. Take care. Bye, everybody. Okay, bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty expressed or implied is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.